My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. This episode is brought to you by Buyers Agency Australia. One thing that happened with all these experiences, I became very clear with what I wanted as well, which is a little bit unusual. And I knew at a very early stage that I wanted to be in business. I wanted to be in economics. Um, that Those were my passions. And, um, you know, that's what I was moving towards. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum and in this episode, we're speaking with Reedham Sied, the founder of Confidence Finance. As an award-winning mortgage broker, property is one of his biggest passions. But getting to where he is wasn't an easy ride. Commits to providing financial education, Sied lives and breathes his three passions, numbers, property and his family. Having experienced what a lack of financial preparation can do for a family, Sead has been preparing for his career since he was a teenager. He founded Confidence Finance in 2015 after spending years as a treasury economist. Left Treasury, began the mortgage broking company um, and then began developing in, in and around when COVID started. So um, I'm an all property person um, and I love property, love talking about property, love researching property. It's just what I do all day. Uh, every day um, with, you know, our clients, with myself, you know, with anyone I meet. So, um, property is my passion. He feeds his appetite for property through many different channels, including the Property Chat Forum and his own podcast, Australian Property Talk. In addition to his day job and his roles as husband and father, his days are action-packed. So, I wake up in the morning. Um, I... Uh, have a non-negotiable, I must spend a little bit of time with my little girl. Um, I've got two little girls, um, a toddler and a six-month-old. Um, so um, my toddler, I get her ready to start her day. Um, that's my first hour of the day. Um, I usually wake up a little bit before and go for a swim. Um, but uh, first hour of the day, I do that. Then I get out the door um, and I either come into my office. Um, we're in Sydney in Mascot. Um uh, and I begin working in the mortgage broking space. So um, I handle a range of our clients, um, but I also manage our business. There's about you know ten of us, um, so there's a lot of business and operational things that I need to uh, address. Um, and then in around lunchtime and a little bit after that, I, I typically drive to our development sites. Um, not every day, but um, you know once or twice a week um, to check in on progress, have builder meetings, me- meetings with architects, um, engineers, things like that. Issues do pop up in the development game um, and across multiple sites. Um, I, I 
you know handle put out fires that come that come, that come to light um so yeah it's a property all day um until i get home really with two young children life can be a bit of a jungle but one he wouldn't give up for anything I'm absolutely loving it. It is an incredibly intense time. Fathers will understand this. We do everything we can to support um, our families. Um, and uh, there is, it, it's intense is the word I use. It's from morning to night, go, go, go. And maybe, you know, 20 minutes <laughs> at the end of the night where the kids are asleep and you get a, a little breather, um, but then you realize it's 11 p.m. and it's like, I'm tired. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's my day. But, but I absolutely love it. It's, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Seard grew up in Sydney and has lived here for as long as he can remember, except for one all-important stint interstate. I came when I was one or two years old um, and I went to school here, uh, went to uni here, have lived here my whole life. Um, Sydney is my favourite city in pretty much the world. Um, I lived in Canberra for a few years when I joined Treasury, so I lived there for three or four years. Um, um, I met my wife on the first day of uni um, and uh, we stayed together for 12 years, uh, 12, 13 years since then, um, got married um, halfway in that journey, had kids. Um, so, yeah, that's where I came from. I, I'm, I'm a Sydney cider. Um, yeah, I might look, not look like, look like it completely, but I'm a Sydney cider. My heritage is from Bangladesh. Um, so both my parents are Bengali um, and so is my partner. I've got an older brother and an older sister. Um, I was actually born in Libya. Uh, my parents worked there for a little bit. So um, I wasn't born in Bangladesh, but uh, we came via Bangladesh, I believe. So um, they were just working there temporarily. So, um, yeah, and my brother, sister, uh, they're both older than me. Um, so they uh, came to Australia. Um, they didn't really have too much. Um, it's a pretty common migrant story. They just sort of came here, <laughs> thought it was a great country to live in, and then made, made a start in life. His parents chose to move the family to Australia for the opportunities available here. After settling in Sydney, those opportunities arose with the everyday Australian childhood he experienced. Australia is you know, uh, uh, one of the best countries in the world to live in. Um, it's had that reputation for a long time. So um, my parents chose Australia. Um, a lot of people in Bangladesh migrate out to other developed countries. Um, so it was Canada, UK or Australia. I think those were the options that my parents were seeking um, and they chose Australia. I went to Arncliffe Public, um, which is really interesting because that's where most of my development sites are now. So um, I, I love the area. So uh, my parents lived in Arncliffe um, at the time and uh, yeah, I went to Arncliffe Public um, and then at the end of primary school, uh, I believe I was in year seven, um, they moved out west. Um, so they sold the house in Arncliffe and then bought a bigger one out near Campbelltown. Um, so then I went to East Hills Boys for high school um, and yeah, just a pretty standard sort of schooling experience in, in Australia. In typical Aussie fashion, one of his greatest childhood memories is playing sports. He looks back fondly on those days and although he doesn't play as much as he used to, his teammates are still by his side. My two best friends are still uh, my schoolmates. Um, that, that we, when we catch up, um, you know, it's something else, um, that bond that we share from that was built up from, you know, when we we're in our teens. Um, so, yeah, it, it's probably out on the footy field playing touch footy or playing game of cricket. Um, the, these are just special Australian childhood yeah. memories that we have. Um, yeah, they're irreplaceable, I think. Oh, totally. Do you still play them? I turned on um, my PlayStation. I bought a PlayStation over the weekend. Um, I turned it on for like 15 minutes and I'm like, wow, this this is too hard for me. <laughs> I'm getting too old for this. Um, you know, I don't get time to do much of that. So um, it's just a quick little exercise session in the morning to just 
clear my head more than anything. Not, not so much uh, competitive sport anymore, unfortunately. While much of his childhood was idyllic, there was one component that was far from it. Unfortunately, it was a large component but it ended up sending him on the path towards his career in his own family. When I was in, I think it was around year 10, um, so both my parents lost their jobs at that, in that year, um, in and around then. Uh, so the, the time frame's a little bit fuzzy, but um, that, that job loss actually led to the house being lost as well. So, um, you know, they couldn't make their mortgage repayments. Um, so we'd moved from Arncliffe to Campbelltown. Um, I think the idea at the time was to reduce uh costs but they ended up buying a bigger house so it didn't actually reduce the cost all that much um anyway they didn't pay their mortgage interest rates rose during that period of time they both lost their jobs um and uh effectively we lost the family home um so that happened in about year 10 um to me um and i was watching this and experiencing this um more as an observer uh, and just seeing my parents a little bit unhappy with the situation that, that that they'd found themselves in. Um, these things are little habits that happen year on year on year, day on day on day, um, just poor financial habits. Um, and then eventually, if you do that for long enough, you have consequences like the ones that my parents had. Um, uh, so that was difficult for a couple of years, um, but it was also extremely motivating for me. I, I was the youngest child. Um, I had opportunities I was in school, um, living in Australia, so I had opportunities to do really well for myself. Um, and I love that about this country. Um, so I kind of uh, saw what was happening and decided, you know what, I, I can't control so much, but I can control, uh, you know, me going, my parents were sending me to school, so I, I can control what I do here. Um, and my grades just kind of went from, you know, middle of the pack to just kind of acing everything I possibly could. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, it seemed very apparent at that age. My teachers would probably say it, be like, something happened to this kid. Like, it was just it was just the normal kid having fun, like, you know, playing games all the time. Now he's super focused in the library and just so disciplined, um, which is probably a little bit unusual for a 15-year-old um, to be so focused. Um, and truth be told, that, that has remained with me, like, pretty much since then. Um, there's been an element of focus to the work I do um, and my goals and my pursuits. Um, and that was that's probably where it started. Um, it's kind of shaped, it's, it was a life-shaping experience. While it was a tough time for the family, it ended up being a pivotal moment for Sied. Turning his focus to his schoolwork, he came across new opportunities he didn't even know were possible. So this is where opportunities changed for me. So um, I did really well in the HSC, um, did really well in school, um, and then I got a scholarship into a, a, a business course. Um, I was debating between options. My parents, uh, you know, wanted me to, you know, study medicine or, you know, these sort of courses that are more in line with community values, but it just wasn't for me. I, I, I knew I, I kind of... Uh, one thing that happened with all these experiences, I became very clear with what I wanted as well, which is a little bit unusual. And I knew at a very early stage that I wanted to be in business. I wanted to be in economics. Um, that Those were my passions. And, um, you know, that's what I was moving towards. Um, so I got a scholarship to do uh, like a co-op course in Sydney, um, uh, which is like a, a cooperation between businesses that ex like you know, major businesses in uh, Australia and a university um, degree. So they join together, um, they give you a job at the end of it and you do a few internships with it, within them um, and they pay you through the university experience. So, yeah, that made uni a, a fair bit easier for me um, because, yeah, it was, it was a wonderful business learning opportunity. Um, it was a great, great course, met so many wonderful people who are doing so many amazing things now. It was a small cohort of 40 within the 
business degree, which has probably thousands. Um, it was just 40 of us. Um, so I had an opportunity to do this. Um, I was probably the first person in my school to ever you know, take on an opportunity like this. Um, so it was great um, that doors opened up for me. Um, a lot of people helped um, and a lot of people gave me uh, opportunities to do well. Um, so I went into that course, met my wife on the first day, which was the best achievement by in my uni. Uh, by a distance, we're like, you know, you pay to get a degree, but like uh, I, got, I got married at the end of it. You pick up your future wife at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't get any better than that. So, um, and she's an amazing, amazing person. So, um, it was a special sort of university experience for me. And was she in a similar degree as you or different degree? She was in the same degree. She was one of the 40. Coming up after the break, we journey into meet cute worthy of any good rom-com. They had like a training camp for the first week about business school lessons and like the first thing that you did was learn how to shake someone's hand. He praises our nation's capital and gives it the good press it deserves. Which was actually a beautiful, wonderful time as well. He shares a unique experience he had while he was there that may just have you dropping your fork on the floor. I had a really cool experience there. My last month actually was um, taking, I was a fly on the wall, like note taker and organizer um, for the IMF on their Australian visits. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio? Well, Dragon Dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. The first day of any new experience can be stressful but Syed took it in for stride. For some people, they also hope to meet somebody special to share the ups and downs with. On this course, the first day, it's like a proper business course. Um, imagine like watching The Apprentice um, or some version of that, but it's like a uni version of that with uni kids and they're kind of teaching you to be a little bit like that. So on the first day, like I go into uni, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen here. I'm going to do some course, you know, learn about marketing or something. Um, we'll, see what, we'll see what happens. But like they had like a training camp for the first week about business school lessons and like the first thing that you did was learn how to shake someone's hand and and they went through a four-step technique on these like these must-have business lessons because you will need this in your day-to-day life Um, and the way I met my wife was actually practicing our handshake so (laughs) that is exactly how we met. Most university courses don't teach the skills offered to Syed and he took full advantage of what he was given. It was three years um, and then I chose to do that was the COP program. Um, and instead of taking a job, um, most of us uh, take a job with one of the employers that are sponsoring um, the course. Um, instead of taking a job, I decided uh, I wanted to do my honours in economics. Um, 
I, I've had a pin. I'm the sort of guy that pins my future plans on the wall um, a little bit, especially at that age um, when when it was a bit more linear. Like you kind of can see where you're going a little bit more. Now my life is squiggly, um, but when things were a little bit more linear at the time, um, yeah, I, I had Treasury and RBA on my wall as like I, I just have to work at these places one day. Um, it was kind of like a dream. Um, so. Um, uh, yeah, that's why I did the honours in economics because, you know, at those institutions to, to become a graduate there, you kind of have to. Um, you're competing with, you know, elite talent across the country and, and sometimes the globe that you you need to you need to have bare minimum qualifications. So I did my honours in economics there. While other companies were offering him fantastic stable opportunities during an uncertain economic period, he chose to follow his dream for the best chance of happiness. There was income on the table and a job at you know a big four accounting firm or you know. Uh, big banks, th- th- those jobs were there readily available. And, and at the time, I think it was 2008 as well. So uh, graduate jobs were quite tricky to obtain during that year. Um, the employment market was very different to the way it is as of right now. So um, yeah, that was lucrative in terms of here, here's your start. Like, you know, the door is open, come in and show what you can do and you'll do well over time. And that door was taken by, you know, 30 of the 40 cohorts people um, and some of them I've just uh, I reach out to some of my clients um, some of them are on my LinkedIn a couple of them partners already at these um, really big institutions so they're doing really really well for themselves um, uh, for me it just wasn't like I needed to be doing economics it was just kind of obvious to me like I had so much respect for this uh, for policy making for what they did for the country um, for the importance of the job as well um, I I just valued that a lot. Um, so policy making is something that it, it's just dear to me. Um, I find it enthralling to think about, um, and that's kind of why I, I moved there. And I was always quite clear on that. Um, and Treasury and the RBA were the most obvious sort of institutions. Um, Treasury was my my go-to because they're just so core to policy making and hit so many different areas of Australia. Um, you know, they have their hand on it pretty much everything you see you know you, you see a road that you drive on um you know it's probably funded by the, the federal government and treasury will have some sort of role in that um you know any tax collections that we have frameworks for how, how we make those decisions and why we make those decisions all of that sort of analytical sort of thing um was really really kind of playing to my strengths and playing to what i really enjoyed so after that he went straight to our nation's capital to make his mark and was pleasantly surprised by the city that greeted him. I went to Treasury actually in Canberra. Um, I, I, that was when I first moved out of home as well, I believe. Um, yes, I moved out of home and moved into Ca- to, into Canberra. Um, I, I was 20, 21 years old um, and you know, I was just a fresh-faced graduate trying to work out my way um, in Canberra, um, which was actually a beautiful, wonderful time as well because so many Canberrans um, at that time uh, flocking in from other cities um, and coming in and working together and it was a lot of like-minded people. Canberra's probably the only place in, in Australia that I recognise where everyone is quite similar. It's just like they pull together all these analytical policy-making type people um, and put them in one city. Um, so, you know, it's quite different in Sydney where you just meet so many people from different walks of life, different types of thinking. Canberra was, uh, you know, policy makers. So, I, I went to Canberra for a few years. Uh, I was there for I was at Treasury for three, four years um, and I stayed in Canberra for an extra year because my wife worked at um, Prime Minister and Cabinet um, at the time. So, um, yeah. 
<laughs> she's always been one upping me so um, you know, um, that, that that's the story of my life I, I, I like it that way too while he had moved in a physical sense he was still very much in tune with what was happening back in sydney his family's financial situation had stabilized but he recognizes the struggle they went through is just starting for some it's a little bit sad because i think through 2023 there may be some there may be a heightened level of this because of all the interest rate rises that do occur um, and people may have just adjusted too high and they need to adjust back down. Um, so they had adjusted their living standard back down. Um, things were probably a little bit painful from a societal perspective because um, of what happened. Um, so these are the scarring elements that happen, the mental scarring elements that happen when you go through some difficult moments. Um, so there was a little bit of that. Um, but they were back on track um, and uh, – yeah, they lived in a smaller house, you know, cheaper sort of area. Um, so they, they made it work. Sead worked at the Treasury in Canberra for three years and then started his mortgage broking business in his fourth year in the capital city. So as a graduate, kind of uh, rose up like you, what our standard sort of progression is for a graduate that had been there for three years. So you, you finish your graduate program, then you. Uh, jump into a certain area. Um, I had a really cool experience there. My last month actually was um, taking, I was a fly on the wall, like note taker and organizer um, for the IMF on their Australian visits. They come to Australia um, every two years. Um, it's called their surveillance article four. Um, and they produce this report that says, this is the Australian economy. This is what we think about it. This is what you guys should do, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but to produce that report, they go and meet anyone and everyone in economics in, in Australian policymaking. So they meet all the big four banks, they meet the RBA, they meet um, uh, the RBA board, so um, they, APRA, um, ASIC. The IMF or the International Monetary Fund is the international agency that helps to manage financial systems across the globe. And in particular, they help create programs like debt programs for countries who are struggling to repay their debts. Um, and in return, they help those countries adjust their policies um, to bring together a, a better societal outcome. Um, so that's by and large their aims. Um, and the Australian role in that, Australia is part of that institution. We're a part of the global governing structure. Um, and we, as a country, have sort of a reputation, a little bit like Switzerland, um, to be just a, a, a a voice there, a credible voice um, with strong institutions um, that uh, speak to uh, these countries and on the board of the IMF. Um, that, that's kind of Australia's role in, in, in this institution. And, and there's quite a few global institutions, but that's the IMF's role in the global sort of economy. He learned a lot from the experience and had a lot of fun at the same time. This is towards the end of my time at Treasury. Um, I think I'd already quit uh, and they knew it, but they wanted me to finish this project off. Um, and uh, the best part about this is I was in the room with all of their meetings. Um, so, you know, a big one was they had a lunch with, um, this one's an interesting story. So they had a lunch with the RBA board. Um, so Philip Lowe, um, current governor, was deputy governor at the time. Um, and uh, Steve, Governor Stevens was the governor at the time. And one thing that I just didn't know and didn't understand is literally the RBA governor as a role and when you are there with them, it's like a demigod in terms of the way everyone perceives them. It's like the president. Um, like they they treat them like 
wow, you are the most important person in the country. Um, so while we were sitting there and having lunch and I was sitting next to them and just having lunch being like, this is cool. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm going to sit here and listen to these people. But I didn't understand this dynamic so so clearly, but the IMF clearly had the respect for the governor uh, at the time. Um, and when um, Governor Stevens would say anything, he didn't say that much, but when he would open his mouth, literally everyone would stop even moving their knife. They'd just pause in like statue format. And there I am just being like, oh, this food is delicious. Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> and I just didn't understand like how much respect that, like I have a lot of respect for them, but I didn't understand the showcasing of that respect um, in that way. So um, it, it's hard to fully appreciate until, unless you've met them. But um, the RBA governor as, as a body, as an institution, as a role is one of the, the most powerful people in this country. Um, and they're treated like that and the respect is given to them. It sounds like he's got a lot of influence, especially, you know, if you have to drop everything, literally your plates and stop making noise and listen to what he says. Yeah, you don't have to, but people are doing it. <laughs> so that, I think that just shows the amount of respect because you don't want to be having clanking noise while he's talking over all that. So They didn't do it for anyone else though. <laughs> it was just for him. So it, it was pretty interesting. Um, and Philip Lowe was there as well. And, you know, his uh, like pers- person ability level, you know, is very different. He's just such a friendly person. Um, so, um, you know, the, the, all of that was super interesting. Um, Wayne Byers was ch- uh, chair of APRA at the time. He's just moved on, you know, had a chance to talk to them. This was in 2014 as well. And if you remember, if your audience remembers at the time, that's when Australian lending was just shooting up. Interest only loans were shooting up. Um, credit growth was running wild and everyone was game planning. And the IMF's just sitting there being like, guys, what are you doing? Like, um, like you have this many interest only loans going up are you guys concerned do you want to think about this um so those were the conversations being had um so uh that that was a really really cool time because it teaches you to think it teaches you how they think um when you're there you have an insight into the way their minds work what policy options they have what they might consider next that's what i took out of it um that was my experience at treasury taught me a, a super valuable skill um how to think. Um, th- that was the, the biggest takeout that I got. Read MCA's story continues in the next episode of Property Investory. He shares what compelled him to leave the treasury. The change was motivated. Um, it wasn't motivated by I don't like my life here or I don't like this institution. The investing moment that wasn't quite the highlight he wanted it to be. In hindsight, like you know, as a lesson, would I have done that again? No. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, that's probably not the best investing, but it was a start. We dive into the details of his property portfolio. Uh, then I started a mortgage broking business, um, and we bought. Uh, a home to live in um, uh, and we bought uh, eventually a couple of years later we bought a couple development like a couple properties side by side and that's next time on property investory do you find yourself stressed out not knowing how or where to find the best property deals or what the best strategy is to build a wealth generating portfolio well dragon dominski can help you while you save time and money. With about two decades of experience as an investor and expert buyer's agent, he finds positively geared properties with development potentials and secures and negotiates off-market deals for his clients. 
Now, he's offering you a no-obligation 45-minute strategy call to get you started. Just simply text the code BAA with your name and email address to 0405-105-074 to get your no-obligation free 45-minute strategy call. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. 